And it gets blown out of the water when the CEO goes, I don't care what data you showed me. Yeah. I don't believe it. <laughs> yeah. Hello and welcome to episode 44 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is the marketing, the F is the world you decide. As you're probably wondering, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host, Ian Truscott, editor of Rockstar CMO, your monthly hit of marketing street knowledge. And this weekly podcast serves as my excuse to chat to friends, marketers, writers and CMOs I've met through my career and our little publication. You can find us at rockstarcmo.com and at Rockstar CMO on LinkedIn and Twitter. This episode was recorded on Friday the 8th of January. If you missed last week's show, Happy New Year. Well, 2021 seems to have started exactly where 2020 left off. So I hope you've had a good week, that you are well, keeping safe and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. We have a pack set list this week. Rockstar Marketing Advisor Jeff Clark joins me to discuss whether a marketing topic, trend or technique is a one-hit wonder or wonder wall. I catch up with Anita Brereton, founder CEO of Cabinet M, a marketing technology management platform. And I again kick off the weekend with my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Right, let's get started, shall we? Marketers love to be down with the cool kids dancing. It's the very latest sound. But will that tune stand the test of time? Each week, my chum, Jeff Clark, Rockstar CMO advisor and former Serious Decisions Forrester analyst, joins me in deciding if that marketing tune, topic, technique or trend is a one-hit wonder or wonderful. Let's find out what's hot or not this week. Welcome, Jeff, back to Rockstar CMO FM for our regular one-hit wonder or wonder wall piece, our new series yeah. that we're going to do. So last week, uh, you um, you had a little fish around in the swimming pool and you suggested we have a chat about um, agile marketing, and I completely lost out on that one because I'd thrown it in the swimming pool. What are you going to pull out yeah, you convinced me the way, and it and it became, and it, we decided it was a wonder wall rather than a one hit wonder. Uh, so I thought this week I'd I'd have another grub around or splash around in the swimming pool and pull out pull out one of the things we've thrown in there and see what you think of that one. So I don't know if you remember um, somebody we both know well, Grant Johnson was on the show, CMO. Yeah, uh, really, yes. really nice interview. Um, I think he's at Emburst now. Mm-hmm. Um, and really enjoyed that conversation. One of the things that what he nominated throwing to the swimming pool was attribution, which was fascinating for me because it's our it's kind of the watchword of marketing. It's what we sort of it all is. crave and we all we all, all we all chase after. Um, from your experience uh, over the last couple of years working with clients, um, what's your view of attribution? Great question, and it's a it's a good <laughs> thing to fish out. And at the yeah. end, we can decide whether we throw it back <laughs> or not. But um, it, what was interesting because I I, um, I listened again to the talk you had with Grant, and he remember he uh, he talked about a uh, a project that I was intimately familiar with because mm-hmm. my marketing ops team and the and the and uh, the guy who ran our data warehouse were were um, 
uh, we're basically doing the work of saying we've got a couple big deals and we're going to we're going to look at, you know, who interacted with the people that were in the opportunity first and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And then say marketing helped drive this. Yeah. And and um, uh, and the CEO didn't buy it because he said, well, I talked to the. I don't know, the decision maker or somebody, you know, critical to it, you know, three years ago, you know, yeah, and then you the get into the, on the golf course or whatever, he didn't play golf. So yeah. somewhere else, but anyway, it, it, it gets into this battle of, um, of, you know, so attribution, you know, what, what does that really mean? What are the questions we're trying to answer? Um, and then you get into the, how do you do it and the technology. Yeah, yeah. And, and the thing is that the, the promise of marketing attribution you know, was, uh, you know, really it's been, it's been marketed by companies that, I don't know, five, six years ago. I mean, they started developing these tools that could, that could, you know, track all of the interactions, certainly anything that was in your automation, market automation, your web platforms, your CRM system, kind of pull it all together and say, look, marketing touched this first, Yeah. blah, blah, blah. And, and it's, so, I mean, there's a lot of promise there, but one of the things you, you got to step back and ask, you know, what's, what is the question you're trying to answer? And, and what the interesting thing about, um, uh, well, actually, if, if you go to the ideal of marketing attribution, it's basically looking at a fairly linear process. Marketing touches things, mm-hmm. turns it over to sales or BDR. They touch things, they move it to sales, blah, blah, blah. And then there's things yeah. marketing doesn't touch that just goes right through the sales yeah. process. And yeah. so if you have a very, um, certain kind of businesses that are like primarily focused on, you know, net new clients, um, where everybody's out prospecting and taking people through that linear process, then that can work. But then you get into the situation that we had that Grant referred to. You've got target account model. Um, you've got a rep who, one rep who's assigned to one account, like in the particular account, can't mention names. Happened mm-hmm. to be in the UK, but the one rep assigned to that one account, mm-hmm. and the CEO is intimately intimately involved with everything that has to do with this account because it's a big name. So, so it's like, yeah, the sales guys and and a lot of other people at the organization are all over this account, and yes, the marketing had an impact because people downloaded stuff from the website, went to events, blah 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 blah. blah. But, but you know, so are we really trying to answer? do we attribute the deal to marketing or sales mm-hmm. or really trying to say, what's the journey? What's the typical journey that any of our customers are on? If we've mm-hmm. got customers that are in, they're tightly managed uh, where we're trying to, you know, get big deals. Uh, and um, you know, it's not really, we really, nobody should be saying sales did it. Marketing did it. It's mm-hmm. like, it's a joint process and you're both contributing. And it's actually great to one diagram what that journey looks like. And, um, and now there's tools. So back, you know, when we did this, we were pulling data out of a data warehouse and mm-hmm. putting things on a whiteboard. <laughs> and, yeah. and so it was very manual as opposed to today. Now there are tools that, that help diagram, you know, journey orchestration and analysis tools more used in B2C than B2B, but they're starting to migrate their way into B2B. And so now you can do these things where you can really look and see what the journey is and um, and basically answer the question, how do you, how do you, you know, how do you land the deals, marketing sales together, services, yeah. you know, whoever else is involved in it and, and, um, and forget the who, who, who gets the attribution. And I think 
Grant's point was, I want to look at marketing contribution. Yeah, what did we that. do to drive the business as opposed to, I drove X amount of pipeline, sales drove Y amount of pipeline, you know, all adds up to 100%. All right. So, but then the counter argument to this, I suppose, is, um, I mean, like you say, Grant, Grant's replacement for attribution was contribution, which was which was a, a great soundbite at the very very least. Um, how do you then? Because I think from an attribution perspective, I mean, we're looking at budgets and we're looking at what's working and what isn't working, and ultimately, you know, what is creating revenue. So, what's your alternate model for how we demonstrate the value of marketing through the funnel to the final sale? Yeah, well, I think that so so we. Um... Again, I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all answer because mm-hmm. I think if you do think about, like, if I go back to the differentiation between, uh, uh, a, you know, a company that's driving net new business, primarily net new business, versus mm-hmm. a company that's got, you know, account-based marketing and sales, tightly managed yeah. accounts, and then yeah. there's a lot of middle ground. Uh, and and in fact, you know, when you're setting goals and you're trying to track this stuff, if in one company, and if you've got multiple different models, you should be thinking about what's my funnel model for, for each of those different um, marketing and sales um, mm-hmm. methods, as opposed to doing a kind of a one size fits all. And, and so again, step back and ask the question, what are we trying to uh, try to answer for? So if we're trying to, uh, answer a sort of contribution in a complex sales process. And we want to make sure that our, um, our uh, particular tactics are doing their job in that process. Then, then, you know, taking a more um, uh, complex view of, you know, what's marketing's involvement in the touches, the percentage of touches for particular deals as they go through the process. Are we, are we populating the opportunity with the contacts we need to make the final sale? So mm-hmm. who did sales contact? Who did marketing contact? Who, you know, whose services contact? Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's, you know, one way of, of analyzing marketing contribution. If you're into more of a simpler model where we're just trying to say, you know, marketing touched all of these leads that eventually made their way down the, the you know, a pipeline in a net new situation, then, then you can look at kind of, you know, either first touch or last touch attribution in a very simple way of just saying who generated this business. Yeah. Um, and, um, uh, you know, and then there's, there's kind of, you know, probably variations in, in between that. But I think those are two very different ways of trying mm-hmm. to answer that that contribution question. I see. Yeah, I see what you mean. It's, it, it's depending what you're attributing, right? So if, you, if you're attributing properly, you're really attributing contribution, if you see what I mean. Um, but it's really that drive that we, this, this probably, this, um, this, this, this mission that will never be achieved, like the holy grail of discovering the very first thing yeah. that the buyer interacted with and we can lay claim to it, right? And right, are you saying, right. and that's really the attribution model, isn't it? And that's the thing that we've, chucked in the pool is that is that anything you're saying i think that's that's fair to say and it has limited application Mm -hmm. because the reality of b2b selling and marketing Mm -hmm. is that you've got multiple people involved in the decision making process on Mm -hmm. a particular opportunity and and you've um You've got to understand what window are we looking in? Are we looking in, depending on the sales cycle, like the company Grant and I worked at, you know, year-long sales cycles and sometimes longer than year-long sales cycles. So the fact that the CEO talked to a guy in three years ago Mm -hmm. 
is that even relevant? Because yeah. because the company has been through so many ups and downs in their strategy and their plan since then that that's probably yeah. not relevant. Um, and it wouldn't be relevant for marketing to say, well, we the guy yeah. went to a trade show that we ran three yeah. years ago. Yeah. Um, so you've got to decide what the window is, what the questions you're you're trying to ask, and, and I think from a marketing perspective, because marketing really wants to understand what's effective and what's not effective. Yeah, you know, ra- rather than getting involved in in a in a in a battle over who who brought one de- what deal in or something mm-hmm. like that, you really should be saying, you know, are my is my overall campaign strategy effective? Is my, um, you know, are the particular tactical components within that, are they effective? Mm-hmm. And those really should be saying, the, again, going back to if we, if we paint the picture of the journey and say the typical customer is going to, they're going to hit our website, they're going to go to events, they're going to mm-hmm. talk to salespeople, they're going to talk to pre-sales people. Yeah. You know, can we, can we actually see that our tactics engage mm-hmm. those, those people and those opportunities and help to... Yeah populate the context and the opportunities so that we know we have a high chance of success yeah yeah and i also think it's um i was listening to seth godin just a little while ago um just out on my walk and he was talking about the fact that at one point mercedes-benz were spending a thousand dollars on advertising for every car they sold but they couldn't actually just go out into the street and give people a thousand dollars and be guaranteed a mercedes sale right because that's not, <laughs> that's not how we work and that seems to be that you know if you take the attribution thing all the way it's like well then if we could figure out what that holy grail of what actually turned the client on in the first place we'll just do that we can just do more yeah. of that but of course our brands come into somebody's consciousness through they don't even know how it came if even yeah. i bet if you asked that guy back in the day when you worked with grant and you, you asked one of the customers you know where did you hear us hear from us from they probably couldn't remember and if they could they'd probably be wrong about it be the first time they interacted whereas the brand had come into the consciousness and what is it that okay so they came over to the trade uh, stand but what is it that actually got them to come over to the trade stand you know how, how early on do we need to think and and, ha- and also have you captured it yeah yeah, so, yeah. so, you know, the guy from the account may have had a conversation with yeah. the, uh, you know, the head of professional services at a show yeah. and we didn't capture it. Yeah, We yeah. don't know about it. We yeah. didn't, we, so that wasn't a tick in our box. And yeah. so, you know, so therefore is everything else you've measured, uh, yeah. you know, is, you know, can you do, you know, I mean, like, like all these different attribution models of equal weighting yeah. and, and U-shape weighting. It's like, it's 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 assuming you've captured everything yeah yeah accurately yeah, yeah that's which, is, what, which is not a yeah not that, a that plays to our obsession as 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 marcus is our data obsession well really what it is is it's playing to our insecurity of wanting to prove ourselves to sales right, right. So, right. And, and, it gets, not, and it gets blown out of the water when the ceo goes i don't care what data you showed me yeah, I don't believe it. <laughs> yeah, but the real, the real, the, the thing I was th- thinking about there is, it's really about, um, you know, what we then do, don't we? When we say, well, then um, the professional service person that was on the stand who didn't fill in the lead sheet, so therefore we didn't capture that. Therefore, we need to be more rigorous in our data capture. And I think what we're saying is, no, 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 no. You need a certain level of trust that the trade show was working, and it played into that. And you may, you, you have to be comfortable with not knowing. Yes. Yeah. 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 And events are particularly tricky because there's so many dimensions to event. There's the, you know, you go to a show, you meet analysts, analysts reviewing, you meet press, press review you, you meet people, you capture leads, you don't capture, you know, you have conversations, you have a, you have a brand expression of the booth or whatever. And and, and somebody might walk by and go, oh, they're a player in this market. 
yeah, can't yeah. talk to them because I got to yeah. move on. Yeah, but yeah, I got yeah. it stuck in my head. Yeah. It's it's um, yeah. You have to be careful. Uh, I think that's that's a really great point. You have to be comfortable not knowing certain things. Yeah. Um, and um, you know, and and again, try to measure what you can accurately measure, and just be cognizant of what what are the problems you're trying to solve. And yeah, I think the other thing that was interesting that the Grant mentioned. Um, so we we've got to make sure people go back and listen. To that <laughs> yeah, yeah. That I'll include a link to it in the show notes. Is that the constantly showing value? You know. Mm-hmm. So that's where you're talking to your internal customers. And so you can go yeah. back to the CEO and say, okay, so you don't believe me that we, we, we help capture that deal, but, mm-hmm. but you know, how do I provide value? And, yeah. and I know that guy in particular would be very clear about how you can provide value. Yeah. And so, you know, so, you know, you just, yeah. And, and we were constantly measuring, uh, measuring all kinds of things that, that today mm-hmm. people would consider kind of wacky, but that was part of it was the showing value of mm-hmm. what marketing provides. Mm-hmm. And we were maniacal about capturing engagement, um, mm-hmm. with clients. You know, mm-hmm. we had a target account list. We knew, we knew where they came from. We, you know, we cat in our data warehouse, yeah. we captured their, you know, the emails, how many times we talked to them. We knew how many were active, inactive, so yeah. we were, you know, from that perspective, we were doing kind of early attribution and that we were uh, or contribution that we were trying to measure mm-hmm. the engagement that marketing yeah. and sales and services yeah. had with accounts. Yeah, yeah. So we're not we're not ch- we're not chucking in the science and the data science and the data analysis that we need to do as marketers uh, away. And um, well, we're deciding whether something's one hit wonder or wonderful. Or we're perhaps fishing this one out of swimming pool. Um, so we still need to do all that work. It's just that we're probably chasing after the wrong thing if we're chasing after attribution and that very first touch, I think is what you're saying. Yeah. And, yeah, you, yeah. And, you, and you can't be, um, you know, cause the other thing I just, I've remembered in talking to clients over years is that, yeah. you know, they would uh, purchase a tool that does marketing attribution under the, yeah. you know, the, the dream yeah. and they, and they wouldn't be satisfied either um, because they didn't have their data cleaned up. Um, yeah. So they, they weren't actually able to get the models to work right, or yeah. they weren't answering the right questions, or they were dealing with an audience that wouldn't believe them. <laughs> if they did have it accurate to begin with, um, you know, you know, they, there's all of the, the, um, let, the non-quantifiable let, things that, that get yeah. in the way, and, and then they just throw up their arms, and, and they yeah. may even move to a different tool and think that's going to solve it, and then that doesn't yeah. solve it, and it's... Well, also, I mean, also what it drives is a lot of attention in marketing to the bottom of the funnel rather than to the very top. And, and you, um, you know, I read a, a piece in Marketing Week today that was talking about um, how we need to think about long-term investments as marketers, as B2B marketers, and we need to think about that top of funnel. And, and right up there where, where, the, where, where it's very foggy and cloudy, isn't it, about yeah. what's working? Work, not not working it's very easy for us who are data orientated marketers to think well if the further into the funnel i go the more i know the more i can analyze the more i'm gonna i'm gonna be able to do this stuff so yeah so well, i think I'll, I'll i'll actually pull out something so my my I, there's a number of former colleagues uh, of mine at serious decisions now part of forrester that were yeah. They were really talking about this concept that they called demand unit waterfall. So if anybody's interested in investigating it more, they should go over to the Forester site. But yeah. it basically, it's like you're going to, you, they were getting clients to think about, I have a target market yeah. with a tent monitoring. I can see where those people, those target market are engaged yeah. and are looking for solutions. I can, yeah. I can track that I've actually engaged them. Yeah. And then I can, and then I can start working them through the traditional uh, waterfall 
but basically I, I, there are tools now which let me understand the, the, how the top of the waterfall is working mm-hmm. for me. And, and some clients were even creating marketing would create opportunities based on a plan. Mm-hmm. We got so many target accounts, so many buying centers within the accounts. Mm-hmm. We're just creating opportunities. And now we're going to populate as soon as we see signals and we engage them, yeah. we're going to populate them and score them. And now they're just, and now marketing and sales are looking at it from an opportunity perspective, not from a lead to nice. perspective. And nice. that, that's a, that's kind of a game changer. And it kind uh, of brings yeah. marketing and sales back together on the same page, as opposed to, you know, yeah. two teams doing Two totally different different things. Yeah, I'm going to look at. I'll I'll look that up and maybe include a a link to whatever I can find on on Serious Decisions and Forest that's available and and include it in the show notes. That sounds fascinating. So, uh, as I as I wrap this up, um, so what are we saying? So, attribution, um, uh, as nominated by our friend Grant Johnson, went into the swimming pool. Do we consider it to be a one hit wonder, or is it wonderful? I would say it's a one hit wonder. I'm with you, mate. I mean, it's 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 been more than one hit because we've had it for a while. But <laughs> I think okay, in, it, in that binary sense of one hit wonder or wonderful, let's let's go with one hit wonder. One hit, yeah. And the Good. one hit we get to come. Yeah, we've uh, so uh, that's our first one hit wonder of the of the series. That's fantastic. So attribution stays in the pool is a one hit wonder. I'll use all of the rockstar CMO uh, comparisons that I can. Um, so. I'm going to ask you, Jeff, as we have done that nomination, what's your favorite one hit wonder of the musical sense? And we'll play out with that. Uh, This is is fun. You know, as I was, um, as we were (coughs) thinking about this, this Mm -hmm. um, I um, was watching a program uh, called Queen's Gambit and would, and the Queen's Gambit goes through the fifties and sixties and on into the seventies, the the timeframe. And they, they, you know, they pull, uh, They they pull songs and you know use them as backdrop and stuff like that. So I yeah. heard one of my favorite one hit wonders, which yeah. is Venus by a company, right? A company by a, a group called Shocking Blue, which was a one hit wonder group out of the Netherlands, of <laughs> wow. all places, which I didn't know until I actually looked it up. No, no. Um, but it was a great tune, and it got it got covered. You know, so like the song is just like has continued through the, yeah. the ages. Um, and I noticed that it was because I looked up on what hit wonders, and I noticed that it was number three on the Australian <laughs> one hit wonder chart. So I'm like, oh, it's a one hit wonder. It really is. So, oh, yeah. it's splendid. So um, I'll play out with uh, what was that again, Jeff? Venus by Shocking Blue. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Jeff. And I'll um, I'll see you again next week. Sounds great. Cheers, mate. Bye bye. Maybe you're more familiar with the Bananarama version, but that was Venus by Shocking Blue from 1969. I feel like a proper DJ now. Anyway, there you go. Attribution, a one-hit wonder. Do you agree? Seek us out on Twitter or on LinkedIn at Rockstar CMO and let us know what you think. Next up, I'd like to introduce you to Anita Brereton, founder, CEO of Cabinet M, a marketing technology discovery and management platform that helps marketing teams manage the technology they have and find the technology they need. As you'll hear, Anita has had a fascinating career, is a long-time tech startup marketer working with companies from the early stage to IPO and acquisition. She co-led Boston Golden Seeds, an angel investment group that invests in women-led businesses, and she continues to be an active member 
of the Boston startup ecosystem. I've had the pleasure of spending time with Anita, virtually, of course, this last year, and I hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome, Anita, to Rockstar CMO FM. Thank you for joining me. How are you? I'm great. It's great to be here today. Thank you very much. Um, And so, I mean, I've given a little intro uh, before we started the interview, but tell us a bit about yourself and what is it you do right now? So right now, I'm the founder and CEO of Cabinet M, which is Mm -hmm. a platform to help organizations manage all of that technology that they've built and bought to acquire and engage customers. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we've known each other for a little while through through Cabinet M. It's really interesting. So, uh, exactly what is Cabinet M? It's 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 a way of tracking what marketing technology that you have. Yes. So, in Cabinet M, it starts with our marketing stack configurator, which is a dra- mm-hmm. drag and drop configurator. You can put all of the products that you're using in a stack format, any way that you choose. It's fully customized. Uh, You can map integrations. You can track your contracts. You can create stacks to map your evolution. You can Mm -hmm. look at a stack map. Um, It's everything that you need to kind of manage the full life cycle of the technology that you're, you're using. That's really interesting. And I think that'll be of interesting to our interest rather to our listeners because we're always talking about marketing technology on here. <laughs> um, so that's a bit about Cabinet M. And we'll come back to some of the things that you're working on right now. But you've had a, a pretty good career in, in marketing in general yourself, Anita. So I thought I'd ask you a little bit about that. And I ask all of our guests, what inspired you to get into marketing in the first place? Okay, so this is a really embarrassing answer. (laughs) It's a really pragmatic answer. So my first job um, out of university was working in a high-tech company. I was hired into the engineering department as a program manager. Mm -hmm. And and so I did that for a few years. And then I realized that because I wasn't an engineer, there was a limit to how far I could go in in the company. And I happened to be, um, have a great relationship with the president of the company. And he asked me one day, he's like, well, what do you want to do? Yeah. And I said, mm, I think marketing. And he said, yeah. you don't know anything about marketing. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, but I can learn. <laughs> and three three weeks later, I was in marketing. So, you know, as it turned out, it was a great fit for me. And I had a lot of great mentors along the way. But yeah, it was not one of those inspired career choices. It was a really pragmatic one. But you seem to have um, you seem to have stuck with it. I mean, when was that? Was that when you were at General Datacom? Or was that? It was. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. at General Datacom, and yeah. yeah, you know, I had a lo- I had a lot of great opportunities, and and some that stand out um, was I had an opportunity to move to Australia, and mm-hmm. so I was going to leave General Datacom. And on the day I was um, getting on the plane, the chairman of the board called me, and he said, "Hey, we don't have anybody doing marketing in the Asia Pacific. Do you want wow. that job?" And wow. so they gave me free reign for seven years to run around wow. Asia Pac and kind of figure out international marketing. So that wow. was great. And yeah, then that... it was just, you know, talk about jumping into the fire. Yeah. And um, and then I ended up in some very high growth startups back in the U.S. And, and one I was with, we sold for um, – three billion dollars and then the next one wow. went public in 24 months and um, was just a rocket ship ride so I think the thing that I love marketing I love the fact it's always evolving and I love being in startups because you get to dabble with lots of things and try lots of things you're not bucketed yeah. in a very neat tidy role yeah no that's that's really good and then um 
and then you you rose up through the, the up the the greasy pole as we would call it in the UK, and you're a VP of corporate marketing. And um, then you then it's, you you've been a consultant ever since. Is that is well, that... sort of. So I you know I left um, I left kind of full time work um, yeah. and consulted for a while, and yeah. that was fun. And I all with startups. You know, I've been in startups all of yeah. my career. Yeah, and that and that was fun. Um, but then I decided I wanted to do something different. So I took a little left turn and became an angel investor and ultimately mm-hmm. ran an angel group with my current co-founder. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did that for several years before jumping back onto the startup side of the table, which right. is where I am now. Yeah, no, that's uh, no, it's a really, really interesting career, and um, and uh, and hopefully uh, something people can can learn from some inspiration. And it's funny how many of the people I talk to are accidental marketers. <laughs> <laughs> they either came from technology or they came from somewhere else and then found themselves in marketing. But you've you've seemed to have made a success of it. So that's excellent. So um, returning back to Cabinet M, you've just started a new thing called Library M. Uh, which I think is a fantastic name based on the cabinet. M. So, what's um, what? Tell us about Library M and the new new website you just created. Okay, so you're breaking up a bit, but I think you said, okay. "Tell me, tell us about Library M." Is that what you yeah. said? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, um, Library M is Cabinet M's new initiative, and mm-hmm. uh, you know it well because you've been help- helping and guiding us with this. Yeah. Um, but the premise of Library M is to to have a space where marketing tech professionals, marketing ops professionals can go to find all the information, data, and resources they need. Mm -hmm. And it came about because over the the last nine months, um, we realized that our customers were really struggling with time management. Now they were working from home, managing teams remotely, dealing with childcare and homeschooling and all of that stuff. And so they were increasingly reaching out to us for help to do kind of the basic research work that they would normally kind of do in their off time. And, you know, can you help us find data on this? Can you help us find data on that? So the inspiration was, why don't we make it easy for everybody to find data around um, marketing technology so that when they have to justify buying a new piece of technology or a part of their budget, you know, they have a place to go to find the information that they need. Right. And you've got a number of different resources available on that on that website. You, you've got f- all the way from 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 white papers that people can read to consultants that people should talk to. I mean, it's quite the hub of the community. I mean, it's been quite a thing for you to build, isn't it? It has. And, you know, I um, I always remember, Ian, you saying to me uh, when we were building it, how are you going to keep this thing up to date? <laughs> and um, and, you know, we're finding it, it does, it takes a village, but it's yeah. also kind of a fun rabbit hole. You know, I spend yeah. part of my day um, looking for things and it's, it's yeah. fascinating how you find one thing and it leads to another. And yeah. there is so many um, great people out there producing great content for this community and starting yeah. communities. It's, um, it's really mind blowing how collaborative this industry is. Yeah, and marketing technology. I mean, I mean, I guess you, uh, you know, no conversation about marketing technology can be complete without reference to Scott Brinker's eight thousand <laughs> Martech vendors. I, don't, I think we're legally obliged to mention Scott whenever anybody mentions Martech. But it's a huge space, and and like you say, there's a massive amount of content around it. So and so so what you're bringing together there with Library M are all these different resources that people can, can come to and, and discern through that. 
Yeah, so think of us as a portal into the world mm-hmm. of marketing technology. So, mm-hmm. for example, we have a link to that landscape that Scott yeah. created. Yeah, but yeah. we also have links to other landscapes that have been created around the world. You yeah, know, there's yeah. fabulous work being done in Europe by the Martech tribe mm-hmm. and other organizations. So, and, yeah, yeah. you know, you talk about 8,000 products, we've cataloged 15,000 wow. um, on Cabinet M. It's extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, if if you dig into some of, um, in some some of these things, you find that uh, uh, so, some of them aren't products; they're just agencies that have created little tiny things. But a lot of these things really are, aren't they? And they're, they're really niche. And what's what's your view? If you're a marketer and you're sort of you're you're staring at that, and that's often where we see the context of eight thousand vendors. Is it's it, it's used as an as a as a sort of an example of how tough it is for marketers to figure out their way around marketing technology. What's your advice to people that you're talking to and your clients about how they should navigate that space? Yeah. So I think, um, you know, it, it starts with all of the, the business objectives. So you have to yeah. start just writing down the business objectives, which lead to the marketing objectives, which yeah. lead to the functions you perform. And then yeah. you start writing your technology requirements, not, and technology requirements are, functional requirements, not I need a CDP, I need a this, I need a that. And then those requirements lead you to the technology. So, and then once you get to that place, we we recommend start with your anchor platforms, right? Mm -hmm. You need a marketing automation platform, um, which may or may not include email. So if if it doesn't, you need email, you need an analytics platform, you need a CRM. And, you know, there's probably three or four other things you may need a CDP. And that should form your foundation. And then you can just, you know, bring in systems on top of all of that and integrate some, don't integrate others, but test and and try. Um, So you don't know this yet because we haven't publicized it, but we have just done an analysis of all of the stacks that are being managed on our site so that we can produce information um, for people. And we'll make it widely available about, you know, what are the top products that are being used in stacks? Yeah, yeah. But it's one of the things that's really fascinating is that marketing stacks, to use an overused cliche, are really <laughs> like snowflakes. I mean, no two are the same. Wow. It's amazing. Every time we sign a new customer, we get a list of 10 products to add to our database. Wow, wow. And um, can you reveal some of the, the hot technology right now that you're seeing that everybody's asking you about or that are featuring in these things? Well, so I think if we look at the most commonly used um, technologies, mm-hmm. it, it won't be any surprise. I think the Marketo Engaged Marketing Automation Platform, hands down, is the most um, yeah. commonly used platform. For smaller yeah. businesses, it's, it tends to be HubSpot. Um, if you're using an independent email system, more likely than not, it's going to be MailChimp. Mm-hmm. Um, Google Analytics is in every single stack, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. as are all of the social networks. I think the things that are interesting as I look forward and start to see some of the trends, I think mm-hmm. the, the um, some of the key trends are starting to see a lot around headless CMS. Mm-hmm. Um, we're seeing a lot um, around identity management, mm-hmm. which makes sense. So those are two... Mm-hmm. Um, big areas that that we're watching. Um, and just on, on that, on headless, I think that's interesting because I've been in the CMS industry for ages, and I have a particular point of view on some of these things. But are you, do you, are you seeing that as a a trend in that people are actually 
purchasing it and understanding the requirement or a trend in that people are hearing the buzz and then asking you, what the hell is this headless CMS thing? The second, the latter. <laughs> right. yeah. yeah, definitely the latter. But we're also seeing, you know, um, that category of products really yeah. grow. So people yeah. are jumping into that space. But I would say, you know, we're very early days on that. Mm. But mm-hmm. that is versus the identity management, which, yeah. you know, we're seeing those tools being added to stacks. We're seeing yeah. um, product announcements around that. That's, you know, that's a here and now thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and is there anything that you that you get surprised by in terms of gaps? Like you're very surprised that somebody doesn't have a certain thing or that you're not being asked about something that you think that people should pay more attention to? I think I'm less surprised about gaps than I am about how few companies actually have their arms around their stacks. Ah, okay. And, you know, now you have Gartner's reporting that 60% of companies are saying they're going to have to reduce their MarTech budget. Well, Mm -hmm. the easiest way to do that is to get your arm around it, because I guarantee you, you will find duplicate products, duplicate contracts, and duplicate functionality. So I'm, I'm really amazed in this day and age, continue to be amazed. Mm, yeah. Um, how many companies don't. And then the other thing that continues to amaze me is how much internally developed marketing technology companies have. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It is not unusual to see 50% of the tech stack being something that's been developed in house. Wow. Oh, that always surprises me when people think they can build marketing technology better than I know. Just- <laughs> I know. So here's that we got this enormous landscape and people are still buying and building it themselves. Yeah. Well, they've probably got unique requirements, you know, their industry, blah, blah, blah. We've heard it all yeah. before. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, yeah. that's a great note to leave it on. And I will, of course, include um, the, the, the uh, leave this part of the discussion. Anyway, um, I will include links to Library M and Cabinet M in the show notes. But I do have a final question for you that I ask all of my guests. Uh, okay. So we have a regular feature on Rockstar CMO called the Swimming Pool, which is our portal to hell where we chuck all the snake oil, BS, and overhyped trends that plague our industry we love. What would you throw into the Rockstar CMO swimming pool? Okay, I'm going to give you two answers. <laughs> Slender. <laughs> yeah, I need two. Um, so the first is artificial intelligence. Wow. Because, you know, as marketers, we are like magpies, the shiny thing. <laughs> we all have to chase the shiny thing. And I think, you know, artificial intelligence has great promise for marketing technology. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what's happened as frequently happens is that all of a sudden, oh, it's a hot topic. So we're going to stick it as a bullet on every marketing tech product. Yeah. <laughs> and so then you end up confusing the market, right? Yeah. If you are not working with a lot of data, yeah. you, you are not using artificial intelligence because you right. have nothing to apply it to. Yeah. So um, it frustrates that's the machine. That's the machine learning part, isn't it? The AI yeah. can't come without the ML. And, that's um, right. And, and you need and that's data. Rule, yeah. And that thing you've got there, that's a rules engine. That's not artificial intelligence. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the other piece, right? The machine yeah. learning being named artificial intelligence. But even with yeah. machine learning, if you don't have a big data set, Absolutely. you don't Absolutely. need machine learning. And so don't stick it as a bullet on your (laughs) capabilities. I remember one of the last live MarTech conferences, I think every exhibitor had an AI bullet. And I I said to Scott, I'm like, to Scott Brinker, okay, why don't we go around and and take note of how many of them have artificial intelligence on their bullets and how many of them actually have it? 
Yeah, yeah. I think that's a cloud in itself, isn't it? It is. <laughs> so it what is. was your second one? So my second one is a, is a more general version of that. And it's this mm-hmm. fascination we have in marketing with marketing jargon. And we mm-hmm. think as marketing technology vendors that, you know, our number one goal is to create a new category and a new term. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. So the most recent examples, ABM mm. managed to confuse the whole world. Yeah. Um, you know, because account-based marketing, isn't that what we've been doing forever? And, um, and you know, recently, you know, chatbots weren't good enough. Now we have to call yeah. it conversational marketing. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And so yeah. I think all of this stuff just adds to the confusion. So you take yeah. an environment where you've got 15,000 products, you layer on all of this crazy jargon. It's a yeah. recipe for disaster. Yeah. Well, on that positive note, Anita. (laughs) (laughs) I am feeling positive. It's 2021. (laughs) Well, no, that was a really, um, that's a really good quick run through a lot of the topics of marketing technology. It's a pleasure to, uh, to record it at one of our many conversations, Anita, and nice to catch up with you again. Uh, And then um, when people are spinning the dial on the interwebs, where will they find you? At, um, you mean personally or the company? Where whichever they want. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you can find me at cabinetm.com, librarym.com, and uh-huh. under LinkedIn. On uh, Anita Breeden. I'll yeah. I'll um, I'll share all those links uh, in the show notes, as I said previously. And again, a pleasure to see you, Anita. Yes. Uh, I'll see you soon. Cheers. Okay. Cheers. Cheers. Bye bye. Thank you, Anita. We talk about marketing technology a lot here on the podcast and in our publication, and it's well worth a look at the Cabinet M platform and the community they are creating around LibraryM. And I will, of course, include all the links in the show notes. So it's that time again. It's Friday evening. Time to switch off Zoom and make my way to the Rockstar CMO virtual bar, where I hope to find my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Ah, hello, my friend. Here we are in the bar, and um, well, we're into this new year now. Yeah. And um, um, you know, I think I wanted to. I wanted to have a drink. Um, you know, it's chilly, mm-hmm. uh, but I wanted something that reminded me a bit of really nice spring weather. Mm. Uh, and uh, so I'm calling this cocktail the Ginger Cures What Ails Ya. Oh. Uh, and um, it's, you know, so, and, and here's the thing. There is ginger ale here mm-hmm. um, because, quite frankly, I can't be bothered to go get fresh ginger. <laughs> uh, so ginger ale will do in a pinch. Um, so it's a bit of ginger ale. Honestly, Robert, I, I can't believe you're compromising on ingredients on this show. I, mean, uh, you know, I'm, I'm nothing <laughs> but a realist. I am a realist um, in the in the sense of the word. Um, so we have ginger ale, a squeeze of lime, nice. and then basically, you know, whatever's left in the glass is tequila. Um, and it is a it is one of my more favorite small batch tequilas, um, and not one of the 
uh, sweeter, sort of more vanilla-y tequilas, mm-hmm. more more of the sort of classic traditional nice. tequilas mixed with the ginger ale and the and the and the squeeze of lime, and it's really a lovely drink. That sounds that sounds lovely. Like yeah, it. I'm not familiar with tequila with um, ginger ale, but then. Um, that won't surprise anybody, really, I don't think. <laughs> so, I'm not familiar with very much. So I'm going to try and make that with my uh, with my desktop bar. Um, and as, sure? as we are substituting. This is, actually, this is actually pretty close to your... Really? To what you've usually got in the bar. <laughs> I, I, you, seem, you, seem to, you seem to know me very well, Robert. Um, I'm going <laughs> to kick this little one off then with... Um, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use some Hendrix gin. And I don't know why I'm okay. reading the label. Yeah, I don't exactly you for your, yeah, there you go. <laughs> so I'm going to add a little bit, a little bit of, a little bit of Hendrix gin to replace the tequila. Let's give that. A, oh, ah, uh, you know what? I've forgotten. Did you put ice in yours? Oh yes, indeed. Oh yes, okay. absolutely. Oh, hang on a minute. Let me. A couple of bits of ice. Put that in the wrong order. That wasn't very good. And then, um, and then uh, ginger ale. I have some. I have something very ginger ale ginger is exactly ale. right. So. That'll be like um, Fever Tree. I don't know why I'm saying the names now. I just seem to have got into the brands. But the Fever Tree Cucumber Tonic Water. A little bit of that. Let's see. And what other... In- that, that, well, they're, they're all the ingredients I've got, so I can't ask you what other ingredients you put in yours. Let me taste that. Oh, Robert, that's very nice. Yeah, there you oh, go, that right? It's very nice. And I see what you mean by the little bit of spring in there. I think it... Uh, although I'm not quite getting the ginger, obviously. Yeah, well, that'll happen when you eat tonic. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely yeah. delicious. And um, and what are we calling that? We're calling the ginger cures what ails you. Mm, I think that would cure what ails you. Although I'm not sure yeah. about the ginger. Very nice. Thank you very much. And I reckon I could drink these every week. <laughs> it's really <laughs> lovely. <laughs> Splendid. So these are very nice drinks. And as is our habit, whereabouts would we drink in these, Robert? Well, you know, here's I'm going to mention a place mm. um, which I've actually been to. Yeah, um, it is one of the finer restaurants uh, in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, it's quite famous. It's called the French Laundry, right? Um, and it is a wonderful, wonderful restaurant. It takes forever to get into these places. It's in San Francisco. Nice. Um, and so I think we we are having a lovely sun. Uh, filled warm winter because mm-hmm. it is winter after all mm-hmm. day uh, in San Francisco um, which would be rare I would tell you yes um, and we are having lunch at the French Laundry is where we are that sounds really nice I, I'm unfamiliar yeah. with the French Laundry which judging by how classy I make my drinks it probably doesn't surprise you and uh, uh, it is one of the top rated Michelin restaurants in the world very so. nice I haven't even been to a bottom rated Michelin restaurant that's <laughs> <laughs> very nice I was going to make a London joke there but I shall not because London has <laughs> then, the um, culinary expectations of London have risen in years <laughs> Um, Whenever uh, I've been to San Francisco, though, it's been it's been quite dull. So a sunny day in San Francisco with me in a Michelin star restaurant sounds absolutely That is, yes, that is a surprise. <laughs> so what um uh, so we're having this rather lovely lunch. Uh what does conversation turn to this week, Mr. Rose? Well, you know, it's a new year and mm-hmm. so there are lots of new strategies being mm-hmm. formed. Um and you know, I think the the number one question that I continually and still get asked about content marketing is, 
you know, when my management team doesn't see the value in it, how do you convince them that this is something we should do? Yeah. And this is, it's a thorny problem, right? Because it, you know, it's not just about convincing one or two people to think differently. Typically it's getting the whole company in, in many ways to change its collective mind to try and do something that sort of flies in the face of everything that's been successful thus far. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so this is a, 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 a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, and in many ways for us, <laughs> the ones trying to make the business case here, um, it is, uh, you know, a crisis of change, right? Cause you're, yeah. you're trying to really disrupt things that have, um, been, I guess, you know, in many ways, either going really right or really wrong mm-hmm. the, for so long. And you're trying to really change the, the things. Yeah. Um, and so the, 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 the key challenge I see in, in many cases in making this case to the multiple people we have to make it is in this, we're doing something wrong perspective. In other words, we inevitably want to make a case of saying, Hey, we're, this is where we're doing things wrong Mm -hmm. and losing momentum or we've broken this or this is not right. And thus we should do this content marketing thing to fix it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the wrong argument. Yeah. Even if it's true, it's the wrong argument. And, and, and so, you know, for example, you know, if we can start to look at things in terms of positioning this, this change as one of saying, Hey, we're doing so many things right. We need to add this new thing so that we evolve even further. Yeah. Um, and I think the you know there's uh, by the way there's 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 um, you know there's also some level of science behind this of when you convince someone you know um, of something that they're doing wrong versus what they're doing right, they're much more open to it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, Seth Godin actually said this uh, very well. Um, it was a couple of years ago, I think. He said, um, I'm quoting him here because mm-hmm. um, I got this quote handy. He said, um, it's almost impossible to get somebody to try something new today if they also have to admit that they were wrong yesterday. Oh, it's perfect. I, that's so true. Yeah, yeah. Um, I find that, right? Where, you know, when we make the ask, if, if I walk into the room and basically start my whole presentation off with here's how you've been blowing it and here's how we'll fix it. It's way harder than if we say everything you've been doing is right, even if it's not necessarily perfect. Um, and we've now succeeded our way into a need for change. Um, anyway, I think that's something that can really be helpful in making the business case for a, something disruptive like content marketing. I, and yeah, and it applies across the board, doesn't it? For any change you want to bring in is that, um, it does, yeah. it does indeed. You know, yeah. I just find it more so for those disruptions where it's not just about one person, right? Yeah, it's not yeah. just about, you know, it's really changing and, yeah. and, and quite frankly, adding yeah. new strategies to something we're, we're, you know, we're doing already. Yeah. I've, but I've been in that position where, um, and actually sometimes you're encouraged to by a sponsor to who's bringing in this initiative and you're helping with it for they're, they're saying, well, you know, this bit, this thing here is screwed and we're going to change and you're going to help us change. And that's the first slide that you're going to present 
and you're thinking, I don't think that's going to go over very well with your team. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that right. uh, you know, that, uh, ex- exactly to Seth's quote is you, you're you're they're immediately going to think I'm not going to admit that I was wrong, and they can't get past that in order to 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 look at the gifts that you you're intending to bring them. Yeah, I think that's incredibly um, accurate, mm-hmm. and, and and it's. Uh, <sighs> You know, it, it is that sort of idea. You know, my, my colleague, Kathy McKnight, as she yeah. says, you know, yay, change said nobody ever. <laughs> uh, and, you know, we all want to change, yeah. but nobody likes to change. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, what, what we see is, is that it, it's, it's, it's really good if mm. it doesn't involve us. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and so it's, it, it is really important in many ways to, position things as new ways of doing things instead mm. of different ways mm. of doing things. Mm. No, I like that. And how um but but then again with content marketing though, it is it, it is a different way of, of thinking and working. You are gonna need to indicate there is some change. So are you saying that you take the traditional um, marketing uh, metrics and things that people have been doing and then demonstrates them how content marketing will actually sort of move the needle on those things that are already working on? Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, look, there's there's typically two ways to go about the argument specifically mm-hmm. for content marketing. One is an efficiency play and the other is an effectiveness play, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the efficiency play is usually the, the, the easiest place to make the argument. Yeah. Because what you can say is you can say, you know, um, you know, I, 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 all I'm trying to do is get our arms around the cost of all this content we're creating, thus yeah. setting a content marketing strategy where we actually get organized about it yeah. is a good thing for us to do from a cost perspective. Yeah. And usually you can make that argument pretty successfully. Yeah. You know, the effectiveness argument, you know, because what you're in many ways doing with content marketing specifically is saying, wait for it, you know, mm-hmm. and, it's going to take time. It's going to take a little yeah. uh, effort. Yeah. It's going to take, you know, some some patience yeah. in order to to really be, you know, effective. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, and we, I think, yeah, yeah, and we've talked about this before, haven't we? I can't remember whether we've recorded this conversation or whether um, uh, it was this conversation we had. Is that is that making that transition from the hamster wheel of of, of running along to taking a more um, strategic approach with content marketing you've still got to do those day-to-day things and so we've still got to keep people engaged in doing that while we switch to this more strategic way of looking at content yeah yeah it's 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 you know it's having the ability and this is why i think by the way my one of my main predictions for mm-hmm. um you know, for businesses this year was the sort of crossover skill set demand that's going to come from businesses to say it's not good enough just to be a content marketer any longer you're also going to have to focus on the structure of content the efficiency of it how it's managed as an asset in the business yeah because you know truly the the business managers that will handle content as a strategy as a functional strategy um and um you know will will need both of those skill sets yeah. You know, to show both that it's, hey, we can create great stories, but we can do so 
efficiently as well. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it, I mean, it's like any um, shiny new thing, isn't it? Although it's not really, I mean, I guess describing content marketing as shiny new thing isn't great when I've got your original book on my desk that was written quite some time ago. But nonetheless, um, whenever you're introducing um, some, something in there, often people get consumed by the practice rather than those business goals that you're trying to execute against. And that's the context in which you've got to put the change, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, because we don't often focus there, right? I mean, we, you know, what happens in so many cases with content marketing strategy anyway, is that it's usually, it's usually pressed down instead of pressed up. Yeah. Um, In other words, we, we, we make the case for it and then somebody goes, great, Mm. go do that. And then basically says, okay, well, how do we use traditional marketing metrics to, to measure it? Okay. That'll be our goal. Well, wait a minute, that doesn't work. Yeah. Okay, well, then that's measured on output, right? Yeah. Yeah. In other words, how much content can we produce? Yeah. Um, because that's an easy thing to measure. Yeah. It's an easy thing to measure how much we're producing. Yeah. And then we start saying, okay, great. Now that we're producing this, yeah. what we're doing is we're measuring ourselves against how much it would cost us to do this same activity yeah. via an agency. And nobody goes, well, but that doesn't measure the effectiveness of no, the effort. Absolutely. It just measures the effectiveness of how good we're doing the effort versus an agency is doing the effort. Yeah, yeah. But that's, I mean, that, <clears throat> that, that, is, a, that is a change. And, it, it, and it's, that's the interesting thing about marketing right now, isn't it? About what we're measuring. How do we measure how relevant we are? How, how much we're resonating with people? And it's so much easier to measure output, web hits, cost you know because traditionally those things have been the easy thing to measure right i'm sure we've talked about that before yes oh yeah i mean yeah yeah, we've talked about that a number of times but it's you know the 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 critical factor there is is um you know measuring what it is that we're you know measuring our progress toward a goal and getting back to your you know your 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 good thought about the goals there um instead of simply the outputs yeah. of you know what it is we do whether that be visits or hits or downloads or whatever yeah. ultimately you know it was funny one of the one of the things that i talked a little bit about in a presentation recently was you know how much of mar- let's forget content marketing for a moment yeah. but let's just think about marketing yeah and 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 how much of it is you know unrealized value yeah uh, you know, in other words, the CFO, you know, the way we as marketers typically will value marketing is we'll go, well, mm-hmm. we've produced this marketing qualified lead and these sales qualified leads and these, you know, people who downloaded a white paper and look, we created thousands of them. Yes. And, you know, and, and, and 1%, maybe 5%, maybe 8 or 9% if we're like killing it, yeah. you know, actually turned into customers, yeah. right? And then you go, and so, so you go, but you should value me based on the other 90% of what I did. Yeah. And the CFO looks at it and goes, no, we measure you based on revenue, right? We measure you based on how much revenue you created. Both of those are wrong, right? You know, only measuring marketing based on revenue is wrong, but also measuring, you know, by simply saying, look, you know, they could have been customers, you know, they, they should have been if sales had just done their job, yeah. you know, but of course, both of those are, are mistaken because 
we need to figure out how to value and set up goals for marketing that monetize that 90% who will never become a customer, but still engage with our content. They, there's lots of things we can do with them to help them become currency for the business, but we don't set the strategy up that way. We set it up based on, you know, our, what our classic lenses show us. And unfortunately that's, you know, drawing a straight line to revenue. And if we can't do that, then all of a sudden it's not terribly valuable. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's a, a perfect thought of, 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 um, of how, I mean, where, God, that was quite a long reaching conversation, wasn't it? Where we came from to where we got to. That's, that's perfect. Uh, <laughs> well, and, and we're so, nothing, if, we're, we're nothing if not drifting, my friend. <laughs> that is so, um, and I, I, so you, where are you sharing these thoughts? You're sharing these thoughts, uh, you're sharing these thoughts on your blog. Oh, good Lord. Yes, I'm, I'm mostly I'm sharing these. I'm, I'm busking down in the uh, San Francisco subways near the French Laundry. Um, I'm, I'm out there on a soapbox <laughs> evangelizing the, the efficacy of, of content and branded content. No, I'm yes, I'm sharing these on our on our on our website, which, of course, is contentadvisory.net. And then, of course, on occasion through social media, yeah. uh, LinkedIn and Twitter primarily yeah and also i i mean maybe i don't think people are supposed to advertise other podcasts on their own podcast but um you your podcast is uh, moving on in 21 it is indeed thank you for asking yes we're we're excited to be back um back weekly and back doing what joe and i love to do it's this old marketing we've expanded our remit just a little bit to talk about media yeah. uh and marketing so because we think those two ideas are converging, not, you know, not the least of which is just the topic of our conversation. Um, yeah. you know, and we, uh, we're, we're having a really good time and glad to be back more frequently than we were in the past. Well, um, I'm, I'm certainly, I don't know many people are, uh, are glad that you're back frequently. And, um, and so that, that's excellent. Thank you, Robert. So I'll include links to you to contentadvisory.net and to this old marketing in the show notes. Uh, thank you very much, Robert. And will I see you in the bar next week? You will indeed. Uh, thank you. Cheers, Robert. Thank you, Robert. A very relevant topic for this time of year, I think. I know in my day job, we're looking at measuring how this new year will pan out. I will, of course, include links to the content advisory and his socials in the show notes. So that's a wrap on episode 44 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. Thanks again to Jeff, Anita and Robert. But most of all, thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track, and jiving along with us. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you like my guests, please give them a mention, click their links, follow them, and take a look at their work. I really appreciate their time. I will, of course, include all their links in the show notes of rockstarcmo.com forward slash podcast, where you can also find all our previous episodes. So, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I would love to know what you think. Drop us some feedback, a review, subscribe, share, or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, Jeff and I will discuss yet another one-hit wonder or wonderwall. Business coach Caroline Kay will be returning to the podcast to discuss her new podcast, and I'll no doubt find Robert in our virtual bar. 
But until then, I've been your host, Ian Truscott, founding editor of rockstarcmo.com, and I hope you'll join us again next week here at Rockstar CMO FM. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.